Good morning, good morning. Glad to have you. Thanks for the wonderful singing this morning. Thanks for the invitation, the hospitality, the participation yesterday, and look forward to uh, the participation this afternoon as well. Open your scriptures to Galatians chapter 6. Again, I appreciate getting to know you and uh, getting the heart of your burden to reach people and your burden to build Christ Church to be a part of it. Thank you for that. Thank you for all the participation in the surveys and making the great breakfast yesterday and what we're already going to take on in just a few minutes. Thank you for that. Um, again, as we mentioned yesterday, part of what we do, I pastored, I was in the business world, called to preach at age 35, uh, finished an MDiv, and then we went out as missionary church replanters because at age 40, with no pastoral experience and five kids, no church wanted you, okay? So... There was a church that needed uh, about five people by the time everything kind of shifted out, so our seven. So God uh, allowed us to start with uh, 12 people, and God's just been so gracious, and we we always, as everyone, you celebrate what God has done and what he's going to do. So our our kind of Gretchen and I, we come, our mission is just to encourage you in the Lord. Uh, There's nothing I can tell you that's not in Scripture. There's nothing, if, if I do, I'm in trouble, okay? So we're here just kind of to challenge some thoughts and, okay, let's remember how good God is. And um, we developed a relationship with someone from the outside, uh, you know, that in our church. So we, we really depended upon them and developed a comp to say, okay, what do you see? Because you need to understand expository preaching. You need to understand conservative music, really, before you can come along outside a church to help. But we don't in any way try to usurp the authority of the local church. The church belongs to Christ. This local church, you know, God's entrusted you uh, to conform it to his glory and do his will. And then we just want to come along and help any way we can to do that. And in Galatians chapter 6, speaks of a church. It speaks of a spirit-led church. So what I this it's on your um, program or your bulletin. But really what I entitled this is three marks of a spirit-led church. So three marks of a church that um, is going to conform to what Galatians 6 talks about. You know, I, as, a, as growing up, I, I was horrible with art. I mean, I am a box, square, circle, uh, triangle person, okay? I, I, you know, that's, that, I'm just not creative. But I learned there, there's a thing called tracing paper, okay? And with tracing paper, you put it over the image, and then you're able to see what the image is, and you can sketch it. So what I'm going to ask you this morning, take out your tracing paper, put it over Galatians 6, 1 through, th- 1 through 5, and let's see how that, how Grace Bible Church, how it looks in comparison to these verses. That's kind of where we're going. And, and God is so good. And again, the church belongs to him. And, and you know, he, to think the fact that we've been redeemed, um, and just, just so you know a little bit more who I am, I, I, I came to Christ as a freshman at Clemson University. And I'm so grateful for the drawing power of God and then God sending the right messenger with the right message, with the right attitude at the right time. I mean, that's another whole story. My wife was reared in Catholicism and God saved her in a similar way by someone bringing the message to her and through God's drawing power, redeeming her. And then uh, we, we, so as adults, we got into Bible-believing churches and we, we married at a little bit later age. We have five children and... Um, uh, two of our son, two of our three sons are pastors, so they're preaching the word this morning. Very grateful for that. But there's one thing about a church this size for those with children. 
Our children got to sit on the front row in a small church and see what God is doing. So there are a lot of advantages of a smaller church, especially with children, especially with young people. They get to participate, and they're able to sit on the front row and see God work. And to me, that was one of the privileges of pastoring a smaller church. You can see that happening. And so we attribute really two of our sons being called to preach as a result of that. So we're thankful. So, And we love our other three, too. I'm just not. I'm just... You know, so it's not that, that those in the ministry have some special position. They don't, okay? They're, you know, you serve where God's put you, in the place where God's put you. But anyway, Galatians chapter 6, I want to read verse 1, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Galatians 6, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one look into yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Father, we need you this morning. Father, we thank you. This is your church. We thank you. We can open your word. We have your spirit. So, Father, I beg of you, you'll take all this and, and put our hearts and minds into this passage. And, Father, I pray that we'll see ourselves as you do and we'll see others as you do. And, Father, when, as, as a result of that, we'll be able to say, okay, Lord, we need to change our church to be like this church. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three marks, spirit-led church. What is that? Number one, confronting. Look at verse one. First mark of a spirit-led church is confronting. You are to confront your brother or sister. Several key words in verse one we want to define. Brethren, so this is written to believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. If anyone is caught, so what is caught? Caught is like caught alive in a snare. Okay, so caught alive. Uh, Think of a... um, you know, we got coyotes in our neighborhood, okay? So they put out coyote trap. Uh, and they're, they, what, to catch them alive, all right? And so once, so entrapped, enslaved, um, so they are caught in, what are they caught in? Notice what it says. What is the word here? In any what? Somebody talked to, what does it say? Trespass, a name sin. So someone, brethren, if anyone is caught, ensnared in a name sin, you who are what? Spiritual. Okay, now we're picking up in Galatians 6. But if you go back to Galatians 5, starting in verse 6, uh, starting in verse 16, it says what? There's a command, walk in the Spirit. So those who are walking in the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16. So those who are spiritual, another key word here is restore. All right, so as we dissect verse 1 to set the stage for this, those who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. And most of you may have heard what this word restore means. It means to make profitable again. It's used in several ways. In the medical way, if you have a broken bone, what happens? You immobilize that bone in order to restore it to make it useful again. It's also used in the fishing world. So you think of the of the context of a fishing term in this day. When Christ would call some of his disciples around the Sea of Galilee, what were they doing? They were fishing. They had their nets. In fact, some of the scripture says they were mending their nets while mending their nets. So why did they have to mend their nets? Because as they would throw out the nets along the, the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, you know, the seas, have, I mean, the, the lake has um, rocky bottom. It would tear the net. So what good is a net if it has big holes in it, if you're going to catch fish? It is not good. So they would mend the nets. They would restore the nets to make them useful or profitable again. So that's, that's this word, restore. And how do we do that with the spirit of what? Gentleness. Again, go back to Galatians 5.22. Part of the fruit of the spirit is this word, 
gentleness. So as we look at this whole part of verse 1, it says, let's review it again, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, if anyone is caught alive or caught in a snare in sin, you who are spiritual, you who are walking the Spirit, you are to go and make this person, restore this person uh, such with a spirit of gentleness, not harshness, and we are to do this. This is, a, this is what we have to do. So we are to confront. All right, so why is this one of the hardest commands in Scripture to obey? Why is it? Several questions you may ask. Who am I to do this? Right? Who, who am I? Uh, I don't have my spiritual act totally together, so who am I to go and confront someone in their sin? Uh, who am I to judge another like this? And by the way, this is Pastor Stevenson's job, right? It is his job to go do this. No, that's not what it says. It says brethren. So it says, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. So as we do this, notice what it says, you who are spiritual. So you're to go and restore them with the spirit of gentleness, using the word of God and the spirit of God to go and restore this person. But why is it we may give them unbiblical help, we may send them to a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or get the latest book out of some book list or the Christian bookstore that is not biblical information. I remind you of Psalm 1. It says this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is where? In the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. So those who are spiritual, you take the word of God to love with the spirit of gentleness in order to restore. So we are to confront a brother or sister or confront others. But notice the end of verse 1, it doesn't stop there. You're to confront yourself. Okay? you got to confront yourself. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Okay, so there, there's the idea here, as we go and confront our brother and sister that's caught in sin, at the same time, we've got to look at ourselves to make sure we are not tempted in the same way. And you may think to yourself, there's no way I would be caught in this sin that my brother or sister's caught in. If you think that way, you're deceived. You're not thinking of yourself biblically. Look at Scripture. Look at godly men in Scripture who get ensnared in sin. God's given us examples throughout Scripture. King David would just be one. So we got to consider myself, each one looking to yourself. So am I walking in the Spirit? Can I go in the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness in order to confront this person? So as I go to confront someone else, I must confront myself. What is my motive in going? Is it out of obedience to God's Word? It is out of love for this person? So what is my motive in going? Am I going in sinful anger? Am I going for revenge? What is the reason I am going? Therefore, in order to rescue, to restore someone else, I've got to confront myself as I go and confront them. First mark of a spirit-led church is that of confronting. Second would be comforting. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's Burdens. This word bear has the idea of bringing your shoulder to help somebody carry something. And it's very important, especially if you would, just go ahead and somewhere make a note of this word burden here in verse 2. This is a crushing, heavy load. This is a load that one person is not made to bear. 
All right, so this is bear one another's burdens. Now, please understand in verse 1, it's your responsibility to go and confront them. But you go and confront them, you just don't leave them alone. You come beside them and help them carry this load they're carrying. So as we go and confront, then we go and we help them bear one another's burdens. We, we come along beside them. Uh, Pastor Stevenson read the passage of the Spirit of God, the whole promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called, and some of your Bibles may have the note, the paraclete, right? He comes along beside us. So please understand, we are to do this as well. So as we're, we're doing this comforting, we have this double-edged ministry of bearing one another's burdens. This is one of those things you, you, you encourage people. You come along beside them. You do not take ownership of their sin, but at the same time, you don't leave them alone after you've confronted them. They need you. All the one another's in the Bible that are to be done within the church, this is one of those. Bear one another's burdens. We help them carry the load. We pray for them. We come beside them as they are caught or trapped or overcome in a sin. Now, let's please understand there are seasons where we may have brothers and sisters overcoming a sin, but there may be a season where you may be simply overwhelmed. Okay, there's a big difference being caught alive in a snare versus being overwhelmed with some of just the pressures of life. Okay, so we got to understand that life does bring heavy things. And life may bring heavy things that seemingly impossible demands on your finances, your times, your patience, or anything like that. But please let's understand you have an obligation within this church that if you are overwhelmed, not overcome, overcome, I'm coming to you. Overwhelmed, you have the responsibility to come to your church leaders. Give you this passage, James chapter 5. You should know it well, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? then let him pray. Anyone cheerful, let him sing praises. Then verse 14, anyone among you sick, this is the way it's worded, then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So please understand, verse 1, we go. Verse 2, we help someone carry the load. And if you are overwhelmed and you need help carrying the load, you have a responsibility to reach out to the leadership of this church to let them know what's going on. They cannot read your mind. You know, uh, as Gretchen and I were transitioning out of our local church in, in Rock Hill, I had, um, so I got, I got this message from a lady and you know, they were very dear to us. Uh, the husband had come to Christ within our church, and, and she had made a lot of great progress, and they had kind of, you know, been offended and kind of were at a distance. And I get this email from her that said this, you have failed me as a pastor. Now, folks, there are a lot of things people can say, okay? But when you email a pastor and says, you have failed me as, I mean, that's a dagger, okay? That is a dagger right in the heart. So, yeah, I reached out and I said, hey, can y'all come over and, and let's do dessert together? Uh, what's going on? I need, you know, definitely since we're leaving, I want this. This should have been taken care of immediately. I want it taken care of. And so we, we sat down and I said, now I need some help here. Um, you said I failed you as a pastor. I said, is there, did I miss an email? Okay. Help me here. Did you email me and let me know? No. I said, was there a text I missed? Uh, no. 
and and in our church we use connect cards in the bulletin. I said, did you did you fill out a card and maybe I didn't get it? Oh no, no. I said, well, how have I failed you? Well, you did not you did not help me when I needed help. I said, okay. I mean, but how did I know? Oh, you should have known. You should have known I was struggling this just because of, of the... Now, folks, listen. I mean, I, I appreciate her thinking that I have greater knowledge than I do. I mean, that, that's a compliment. But the negative is what? Here she was, mad at me, and in, 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 in James 5, 17, I said, no, wait a minute. You had an obligation to call for the leaders of the church. So I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do know that we're to go to others if they're caught in a sin. But also, if you're overwhelmed, don't think that your pastor or somebody in this church knows that. You have an obligation to reach out and let people know what's going on. So again, this is that double-edged ministry of bearing one another's burdens. But look at the end of verse 2. This is what it says. Bear one another's burdens. Why? And thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I understand we're picking up Galatians 1. This, I'm just preaching one me- I'm picking up in Galatians 6. I'm preaching one message to you. But please understand, the book of Galatians, but if you study it out, this word law is mentioned 32 times. So this is a huge theme within the book of Galatians. So 32 times the law of Christ, the law is mentioned. In fact, just go back to Galatians 5.14. Uh, look at that verse. It says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In this statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Same things repeated in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have also have loved you, you're to love one another. So if you look at this, my focus should be to fulfill the law of Christ. Your focus should be to fulfill the law of Christ. Again, look at verse 2, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So how do I fulfill the law of Christ? I do it by loving you. I do it by loving others. So fulfill the law of Christ of bearing one another's burdens, demonstrating your love for God and your love for others. As you're bearing these burdens, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. So let me ask you a question. How well are you bearing another's burdens in this church? Just look around. All right, there are three sections. One, two, three. So just look in this section. You look in this section. Name me prayer requests of, of several people within your section. Tell me something somebody in your section is going through that you're praying for them right now. So are you really bearing one of those burdens? Are you really loving each other in such a way? Because when you're loving each other in that way, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. So you got to ask, how are you fulfilling the law of Christ? This is the mark of comforting. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to do that. We must do that. We've got to understand this is what is being taught here. Now, let's look at the third mark. Galatians 6, verse 3, the third mark of a Spirit-led church. First was confronting, comforting, but now considering. And verse 3 says, you must consider your thoughts. Look at verse 3, consider your thoughts. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, Notice the next phrase, he deceives himself. So you got to consider yourself. So what do you think about yourself? You think you're doing pretty good? You think you're loving God and loving others? Do you really? 
This verse says, in reality, you may not be. You may be deceiving yourself, false reasoning, causing myself to think that I am doing something that I'm really not, or I'm really loving God. In reality, I'm not. Is it easy to be deceived? Yeah. Yeah. One way to avoid deceptions is sit down with your spouse, people that you know that love you, that will be in the spirit of gentleness, will tell you this. And you ask them this question. Where could I change one way to be more like Christ? When you do this, you got to be willing to receive some, uh, some input, okay? So don't do this if you're not approachable. But sit down with your spouse. Sit down with your mature children. Sit down with a brother or a sister in this church and say, where can I change in this one way to be more like Christ? And therefore, it will help not being deceived. Because I'm telling you, it is so easy, easy to be deceived. It is so easy to be deceived. We all can be deceived, and we can deceive ourselves. Several years ago, many years ago, we our, our church was very small. We had a dear lady in the church. Her name is Ruth. And Ruth um, came to me after a Sunday service. She said, Pastor, my stepfather is having surgery and he's severe diabetic, then most likely going to amputate both legs, and he may not make it through the surgery. Could you go visit him? And, you know, as a pastor, oh, that's great. You know, love to go visit him. Then she said this, Pastor, he's the most wicked man I've ever met. Okay? Well, I mean, you know, I get very, I'm very sarcastic. Okay. So I'm thinking to myself, not telling her, yeah, right. You know, you deal with a lot of people, and, and you know, you've been through life a lot, and you're saying, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. Uh, but I'm, I'm go visiting. You know, the great thing about a pastor going to a, you know, a hospital room to visit, the people can't go anywhere. They're stuck. You know, I mean, they, 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 you know, you, you've got to, you got to capture the audience, really. So I go in the next day and, and I said, Ruth, be happy to go. And, uh, so I went in and knocked on the door and I introduced myself. So, uh, Ruth's sister was sitting just inside the hospital room door. And she looked up at me, and I didn't, I never met her. And I said, You know, I'm Marshall Fant, I'm Ruth's pastor, and I've come to visit your dad. And she said, You're who? She said, I said, I'm Ruth's pastor. You're a pastor? That's right. She got up and left. Okay. So then I go over, I mean, you know, you, you deal with a lot of different situations. So I go over, this man's name is Ed Perkins. So Mr. Perkins in the bed. I said, Mr. Perkins, I'm Marshall Fant, I'm Ruth's pastor. And I understand you're facing some pretty serious surgery tomorrow, and I I just wanted to come up and and talk to you a few minutes. And he looked at me again, repeat of the, you're who? I said, I'm your daughter, Ruth's pastor. You got to remember, this is an older man. His glasses were really, really thick because he's got diabetes. He's looking at both legs being amputated. He looked at me the best he could through his glasses. He turned over and faced the wall. Okay, so I just said, Lord, I need grace here. So I said, Mr. Perkins, I just want to tell you a few minutes about the love of Jesus Christ. Because, again, what did Ruth say? He was the most wicked man. Now, I don't know what that means. I did not ask details on what he had done. I didn't want that, right? But I knew, okay, there's there's some pretty significant things in this man's life that had happened. So I just sat there with his, again, he was facing the wall, but I'm sitting there going through the gospel with him, telling the love of Jesus. And I said, I said, Mr. Perkins, I said, when Christ died, he shed his blood 
to cover all sins of all men of all times. I want you to know that if you trust Christ, your sins will be forgiven. I said the only sin that will not be forgiven is your rejection of Jesus Christ as the one that came to die in your place. I said he's called the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. He has come to die for you. And I said when he was on the cross, he made a declaration it is finished. I said, everything necessary for your sins to be forgiven has been done. You know this account. So I explained it to him with his face, again, going to the wall. So I went through. Uh, I emphasized the love of Christ. And I said, Miss Perkins, I, don't, I want you to understand that, that you can come to Christ in faith. And so I left, prayed, and walked out. And then as I, as I walked out, went home. And so Gretchen asked, how'd it go? I said, you know, it's one of those things. I, what do you do? How do you explain what just happened? But okay, so I mean, this was like on a Monday. So uh, surgery's gonna be on Tuesday. So I, I looked in the the obituaries Wednesday. He didn't die. Okay, and so Ruth hadn't called. So Thursday, by Thursday, I said, you know, I better go see what happened. So Thursday, I walk in the room, and 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 Mr. Perkins is on the bed. These little again, both legs are gone. So he's sitting there. He's got stubs. But he's on this little trampoline, you know, the little about to, to take the pressure off the stubs, all bandaged up. And I walked in the room, and he had a smile and a countenance on his face. And I'm sitting there, what happened to you? And he said, Pastor, I'm the happiest no-legged man to ever live. I've trusted Christ to forgive me of my sins. Okay, see... I don't know if he had been deceived, thinking his sins could not be forgiven. I don't know. But there are people who have been deceived, thinking that they are so wicked that they cannot be forgiven through the sacrifice of Christ. So what I want you to understand here is you do this, we are, you know, there are things that deceive us. So I want you to understand as you take the message of Christ to others, there are people that have been deceived. Their minds have been blinded by the God of this world. But it's the power of the gospel that removes those blinders as God draws them and saves them. So let's please understand. So my question is, have you been deceived? Have you been deceived thinking that there are loved ones you haven't gone to? Have you been deceived thinking that you cannot bear one another's burdens? Have you been deceived thinking you're something but you're not? Because it is so easy to be deceived. It is so easy to be deceived. I was leaving the church one Friday night. Uh, Gretchen was, I was by myself. Gretchen was off speaking and, uh, we'd finished some special meetings and I came out of the church about 10 o'clock on a Friday night, tired, exhausted. And we live right near the church. We live a half mile from the church. So literally you pull out of our church parking lot, you turn left for about 50 feet and then you go up the hill and our house is right there. So I come out of the church parking lot. I turn right left 50 feet. I turn right and I got blue lights behind me sitting there. How? How did I just break the law coming out of a private parking lot, turning left and turning right? But I sat there, right? I mean, we have we had two cops in the church. We support them. So, I mean, I knew I'm, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm keeping my hands on the wheel. I put it in park. I mean, I sat there, right? You don't move. They run the license plate. They run your drive. They do all that, right? So I sat there and I sat there patiently thinking, what in the world did I do? How, how could I be so stupid to break a law? What did I just do? So I'm sitting there and sat there. Five minutes came, 10 minutes came, nothing. 
So I very carefully cut the car off. I very carefully slide, right? You mean I didn't want to, uh, right? We love policemen. We want it, right? So I'm being very careful about it. So I come out and there was no cop. My retina was tearing. And when my retinas tear, I get blue flashing lights coming out here. I was totally deceived physically. What about spiritual deception? The verse says, when we think we're something, when we're not, we deceive ourselves. So the question is, am I really seeing myself as God does? And then look at the rest of the verse, starting in verse 4, it says this. But each one must examine. So we consider our thoughts, but in verse 4, we consider our works. Each one must examine what? His own work. And then he'll have the reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. So it's very important as we look at this. We must examine what we're doing. We must examine our own work. We must prove our own work, if you want to look at it like that. Why? Verse 5, you got to carry your own load. Now, some translations use this word burden again in verse 5, because we'll go back to verse 2. The burden in verse 2 is a crushing load, something you cannot carry alone. But this word here, your load, your personal load, this word should be, it means something that you should be able to carry. This was the backpack of a Roman soldier that he was expected to carry. So again, you, there are certain things you are required to carry. This is your personal load. This is your portion, is what the word really means, that you are to carry. Again, this is not the crushing load. This is that load that God puts on you that you are supposed to carry along. Our youngest son, Andrew, I just started law school down in Athens, but he was in the Army for nine years or so. And when he left for Afghanistan, before he left for Afghanistan, he came by the house and, and uh, you know, for a time before he left. And, and he said, I said, so how are you doing? You ready for all this? Yeah. I said, so what, what, are you going, what do you wear over there? I mean, what, what do you do to protect yourself? He said, well, I got it in the truck. You mean to bring it down? I said, sure, bring it in. So the, the Andrew's about 6'3", about 240, big guy. And so they wear this, this metal breastplate and backplate, okay, that is designed for them. Okay, again, he's a big guy. And so this plate was 40 pounds. Now, I'm an old man. I got, I understand that. But still, you think, you know, so I picked up the breastplate that was designed for him. It was too heavy for me. All right, you with me? Notice what verse, this verse 5 says. He says, so each one shall bear his own load. This is the load that God puts on you, and God knows exactly what you can take. You're never tempted beyond what you're able. He'll never put more there than you're able to handle. Okay, we got to understand here that you must bear your own load. You must bear your own burden. The same words used in Matthew 11, this is what it says. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Same word here in verse 5. So as you are going through this and as you're thinking about this, folks, you have a load that you are to carry both in your life, in your family, and in this church. You have a load. You have a personal responsibility. And you must consider this. You must consider the work you're doing. Consider your thoughts. Consider your work. This is the question I have for you. And again, in a small church, it's pretty, you know, it, you feel like, okay, I, I can't do anything else. But are you care? Are you, if everybody did the same thing you did as far as carrying the load, what would get done and what wouldn't get done? Can I say that again? 
if everybody carried the same load you did, okay, and this is a load you can carry, this is not the crushing load, but if everybody did just like you did in this church, what would get done and what would not get done? Got to ask that. So are you carrying your own load? Now, we'll forget I was, again, I was saved out of a very liberal denomination, joined a little independent Baptist church that preached the Word of God, meeting in a funeral chapel, okay? We met there as long as there wasn't a body in the chapel, then we had to go meet in a furniture store, okay? But, and, you know, it, it was an old little funeral chapel, and kind of like, okay, what do you do? This is where, you know, I came out of a huge church, stained glass windows, you know, seats a thousand, you know, all the big organs and all that, and here I go from that to a funeral home chapel. So, you know, but it preached the word, right? So I joined this little church and they came to me and said, Hey, we have a need. We have somebody, we have a need to teach children's church. All right. At this time, I'm probably about 24 years old. Okay. Not married, no children. So I kind of said, Okay. Now, what is it makes you think I really enjoy children? Now, I love children now. I mean, we have our, but you know, when you're 24 and you're single, right? Go back to, if you were that, go back to those days. I wasn't comfortable. I mean, I had I had a couple of I had a nephew, but really I, I said, now okay, now why is it you think I want to teach children? I'd rather be an usher. I'll go. Hey, let me go. You know, mow the yard. Let me go do something like that. That we need somebody to do what? Teach children. So I said, I'll pray about it, but I really I am not led in any way. Well, you know what happens, of course. What there was a need, right? Okay, give me somebody in case they got to go to the restroom that can take them to the restroom. I'll be happy to do it. So, folks, please understand there are needs that come up, especially in a small church. You may feel like saying, I don't want to do it. Okay, but if you don't do it, who's going to do it? That's something. Remember, this church belongs to Christ, not to you. So we're serving God as we serve others within the institution he has raised up for us to worship him through. So are you doing your portion? Are you carrying your load within this church, within your family, within your work? So two questions as we close. Again, Matthew eleven thirty. Christ, this is Christ says, he says, my yoke is easy and what? My burden is what? Light. We all are carrying burdens. We're all carrying things like this. The two questions as we close, number one, are you seeing yourself as God does right now? Or are you seeing yourself as God does? You know, I, I was saved as a freshman at Clemson University. The next year, somebody discipled me one-on-one. -on -one. I am so thankful that somebody mentored me spiritually, taught me how to pray, taught me how to study the Bible. And this is one thing he taught me. He says, now, when you come to the Scriptures, before you open them to read it every day, he said, you ask this, Lord, confront me on my sin. Lord, confront me. Show me where I am in sin and where I need to change to be more like Christ. So I still pray that, Lord, confront me when I open the Scriptures. So i got to ask myself, you know, am I seeing myself as God does? And if you're not in God's Word, you're probably not going to yourself, see yourself as God does. Because God speak to us through His Word. So are you in his word to where you can see yourself as God sees you? Are you willing to sit down with another man or another woman and say, how, how do you, where do I need to change? So am I seeing myself as God does? That's a sobering thought because there is 
the great joy of the Spirit of God working through us in conjunction with the Word of God that leads us to repentance and confession and fellowship. This leads to joy. And folks, as we've been saved, I mean, we need the joy of the Lord to be walking in the Spirit in such a way the joy of the Lord flows through us. And that happens when we can honestly say we see ourselves as God does. Secondly, do you see others as God does? Inside this church, outside the church. Do you really see your neighbor? Do you really see your lost family member? Do you really see you fill in the blank? Do you really see them as God sees them? Do you? Again, do we have, again, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I blew up my left eye back in May 14th, so I don't have any hardly vision in my left eye right now. So I really, so this side, I mean, um, I, 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 I really can't see much over here, okay? So I know I've got physical blind spots. I mean, I know that. But also, I, I'm wise enough to know I have spiritual blind spots. And I don't see people as God does. I see them maybe as I want to, people that irritate me. You get irritated, I get irritated real easy, especially when I'm in the, you know, ooh. But i got to walk in the Spirit. We'll talk about that a little bit this afternoon. But are we seeing people as God does? The woman at the well, John chapter 4, Christ saw the needs of this woman. The disciples didn't when they walked up. So do you know people well enough to really say, okay, how does God even see them? Do you even know your neighbor well enough to even know if they're a believer or not? Do you? So I think in this passage, as you look at, at Galatians 6, the three marks of spirit-led church are very obvious, confronting, comforting, and then considering. And this is what we're to do. None of them are easy, but it must be done through the power of the knowledge of the Word of God, the powerment of the grace of God through the Holy Spirit, we can do this. So where do you personally need to change? And as you change, how can God use that to make Grace Bible Church a church that's honoring to Him? So what is it you need to do this morning? You know, the greatest privilege is, is, is just taking the Word of God and open up your heart and just pray, Lord, what do I need to change? I'll close with this. Years ago, I, I, I was still in the United Methodist Church. I did not have a lot of spiritual teaching. But I went to this conference, and they challenged you to make a list of everybody you had sinned against you and not ask forgiveness for. To take a day, open the Bible, go through the passage on forgiveness, and ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. I did. Took a whole day. I had two pages of a legal pad of all these people I'd sinned against. I'd not asked forgiveness. So I said, Lord, thank you. Now I've got to do something with this. So one by one, I went and found these people long before internet, okay? Found them, something called long distance phone calls to find out where they were. And then I'll, I, by God's grace, every person in that list, I went and asked in person, would you forgive me? This is how I sinned against you. And God restored me to all these people. You know what I realized when I was preparing this message? I need to do the same thing with everybody God's brought into my life that does not know him. I've never done that. I'm 65 years old. 
been a pastor since 1995. And I realized this morning as I was going back through this sermon, I'm confessing to you, I've never, I mean, I've got the two or three. But maybe we need to do that and start seeing more people as God does. And say, Lord, be drawing them and let my life intersect their life. Again, two questions. Do you see yourself as God does? And do you see others as God does? Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you your word is alive and powerful. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Savior. We thank you that we can live in the power of the resurrection as we live for him. So, Lord, where we need to change, please convict us of that. And as Grace Bible Church, as we just say, okay, how can this church be even do a greater job of glorifying you, Father? Let the church change. But, Father, we need you. We cannot do this in our own spirit. We don't want to do it in our own spirit. We need you to help us do this. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.